good. Anyways, everyone, good afternoon, good afternoon, and good night, Shabbos. This is Monday night's class. It's happening on Friday. Better late than never. I was hoping already Mashiach would be here so we can already give the, the Mashiach would be fully revealed in the world so we can give already the class those in after that has happened, but we're going to have to wait a little bit longer. We'll have to wait another longer. Let it happen within the next few seconds. In any case, it's our Shabbos. Tonight's, today's shear was dedicated by Mrs. Ruth Seliger, Selinger, and this is in honor of her mother's yard site, which is going to be to um, tonight, Malka Bas Yosef Aaron, on the 20th, no, it's actually today, on Friday. The yard site is today on Chaf Elul, which is Friday. Malka Bas Yosef Aaron, may Yonashama have a super great aliyah to the greatest of heights. May she channel lots of brachas to you, all that you need and all you, that you want. And everything in a Shana Teva Mesuka and a good Gebenched Yar, Mashiach now. Um, I want to dedicate this class as well to my grandson, whose birthday is going to be his fifth birthday. It's going to be tonight. Chaf Aleph El. Hashem Shed Benchim. My grandson, Yitzchak Isaac Zirkind. Hashem Benchim with all the brachas. And we, should, we his uh, grandparents, his Bubby and Zaidi, and also his parents. Should continue to see a lot of nachas and raise him in good health, and he should grow up to be a shining light. Baruch Hashem. Okay. Um, so this week is Parshas Kisavo, and in Parshas Kisavo, which is very much related to the redemption. Of course, Tava means when you will come, and we're talking Kisavo Yelaaretz when you will come into the land. So that's Mashiach Kisavo Yelaaretz. You will come to the land. The ultimate coming into the land of Eretz Yisrael is with the coming of Mashiach is fully revealed in the world. He's going to bring all the kibbutz Gali. He's going to bring all the Jewish people back to Eretz Yisrael. So that is Be'ezer Hashem going to happen. Be'kara, Be'kara, Mamish. Now in the Haftorah that we read, we also, it's the sixth Haftorah of the Comfort Haftorah. And it's from Isaiah, from Yeshaya, and it's Kumi Oiri, very beautiful power of Torah. Come, Hashem says, get up, Kumi. God is saying to each and every one of us, get up. Oiri, shine your light. We should all illuminate. Kiba Oirech, because your light has arrived. Because your light of the redemption has arrived, and therefore, Kumi, get up, Oiri, start shining. So even though this is referring to, Hashem is going to say this all to each and every one of us as the third base of Middash is built, and Hashem will tell us, Kumi Oiri, get up and shine, because our true lights have been a little bit um, darkened or blocked because of the exile, and the true godly light radiating from our souls has not been perceived so strongly within the world. And when Hashem says to each and every one of us, Kiva Oirech, once your light has arrived, and you're just a reflection of my light, so you can shine my light with such a powerful, incredible light, as we'll soon see, a magnificent teaching from the Holy Baal Shem Tov. But here's the amazing thing. Um, what, this this, this uh, call from the prophet in the name of God, where Hashem says to the Jewish people, get up and shine your light because your light has arrived. Obviously, probably, I would imagine, I didn't see this anywhere, but this is my own thought. Or maybe it says somewhere, I just didn't recall seeing it anywhere. Is that, you know, 
similar to what the Rebbe says, that it says that when Mashiach will come, when the Gula is here, God, the Mashiach will stand on the rooftop of the base of Mikdash and tell the Jewish people, my humble ones, the, um, the time of your redemption has arrived. So the Rebbe asks a question, a very powerful question. If the temple is already standing, if the base he's standing on the roof of the base of Mikdash, if the temple is standing, so obviously we will all know that Mashiach has arrived. What does it then mean that Mashiach stands on the roof of the base of Mikdash? That's his question. And he has to tell, he's telling the Jewish people as if we don't know it. I mean, there's a mosque there now. And um, uh, two billion Muslims are kind of backing the mosque or close to that. Not easy to remove that mosque and put the, put the Jewish temple over there, the holy temple, the third temple. Um, if that is going to happen, it's obviously going to be a clear indication that Mashiach is here and everybody will know that. So what does Mashiach have to announce? So the Rebbe explains that this must be therefore, this is not talking about in the time when Mashiach is fully manifest and revealed and all the Jews are already living in Jerusalem and the temple is standing on the Temple Mount. Talking about at the beginning of the Messianic era, when Mashiach is still not in Eretz Yisrael, he's outside in the diaspora together with the Jewish people. And the Holy Temple, when it says he's standing on the roof of the temple, it doesn't mean the temple in Jerusalem. It means the mini temple. The Talmud tells us that there, every 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 Jewish synagogue, every Beis Knesset, and every Beis Medrash, every study hall, every shul, and every study hall is really a mini temple, Migdash Maat. And but amongst them, as the, the, the Rabbi there brings from the Gemara, amongst them in Masechtas Megillah. There is a primary central location, which is where the leader of the Jewish people lives, the one who influences the Jewish people, the headquarters, which the Rebbe states clearly in our days is in Crown Heights. I was just there yesterday, and I davened, I merited to Davin Mincha there, actually with the 315 as the Rebbe's minion. And uh, it was very, very meaningful for me and very powerful. So um, it's in that from that building, from that rooftop, it doesn't mean necessarily from the roof, but the entire building is called a rooftop because it doesn't have the holiness of the sanctity halachically of the temple. Um, but it's already, it's the, it has the same idea that the Shekhinah dwells there during the time of exile. And that's where we receive the notification that your time of redemption has arrived and that this has already been told to us 30 years ago. In other words, this, that the Midrash says that Mashiach stands on the roof of the base of Migdash, is not a future prophecy. It's something that happened already. So now, based on this teaching, I would just want to um, compare and say that what's what's the essence of the teaching is that even though a certain pro- a midrashic statement, in our case, I'm talking about a prophecy. They were talking about a midrashic statement, which seems to be talking about a time when the whole world will recognize already Mashiach and yet the Rebbe says no you're misreading it it's talking about a time when Mashiach is vaguely here not in a very open way that everybody recognizes him it's talking about the introductory time of the redemption so we can say the same thing based on the same idea I'm going to ask a question over here Hashem tells us shine your light because your light has arrived well, obviously, if the lights turn on in the entire world and the powerful revelation of godliness hits the four corners of the earth, every far-flung corner, and our hearts suddenly burst open with song, and our souls suddenly um, manifest with, its, with their full glory, 
and we're experiencing an enormous, enormous um, um, inner, inner, inner inspiration and light and wisdom and enlightenment and all that. So we don't need Hashem to tell us, get up and shine your light because your light has arrived. If God is telling it to us, it must be talking about a time where it's not so clear that, that we can turn on our light. And that's what Hashem is saying. The light of the redemption has already been downloaded. Your light has arrived. You may not know it because you're required to tune into that light. We're dealing with this, a particular time, which is our current time, which is that the Rebbe told us already 30 years we're already in the time of the redemption. And anybody that wants to access futuristic lights, the godly revelations of the future, can, can access them already now. So that's when the Navi is saying, Kumi Oiri, get up and illuminate the world around you. Sheer, teach, inspire. Because even though you're not feeling it in a very in a very in a very powerful way that it's like obvious to all, but Hashem is saying to us, Kiba Oirech, your light is here already. And therefore, it's a conscious decision. You can consciously decide to tap this this already future light, no more future, but now current light, but for the rest of the world seems to be future, and you can already shine in it. So it's a unique time we're living in. But in truth, we celebrated this week a very special day, Chai Elul, which is the 18th day of Elul, which is the birthday, 324 years ago, of the birth of Rabbi Yisrael, Israel Baal Shem Tov, a great, great saintly rabbi who lived in in the Ukrainian and the Carpathian mountains. And he revolutionized Judaism. He's the founder of Hasidism. And all Hasidic branches, which branch off into many, many, stem from this one incredible godly man. And uh, so this was his birthday. It was on the 18th day of Elul, which was just within three days from now, of the day three days is still considered very deeply connected, halachically. It was on this Wednesday, Tuesday night, so that's when um, that's when Baal Shem Tov was born, and then his third generation Hasidic master, who was the founder of Chabad Hasidism, um, Reb Shneir Zalman of Liadi, the author of the Tanya, and the teacher, my my teacher, if I can say, and most of everything I teach over here is inspired by the Baal Shem Tov and inspired by Rav Shneir Zalman of Liadi's direction in which he took Hasidic teachings and his philosophy, <coughs> which later he was succeeded in succession by six mighty, mighty, mighty giants of, of, of teachers and luminaries until the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and whose light is the light that we currently are plugged into and that the entire world is illuminated by. So the, the, his, his spiritual grandson, even though he wasn't a physical relative, but spiritually he saw himself a grandson, was also born on the very same birthday. Um, 42 plus, 47 years later. 47 years. Actually, the Balshamta was obviously alive then. The Balshamta passed away when he was 60, I think. So when the Balshamta was 48 years or 47 years old, that's when. Zam, the Balshamta spoke about it. He knew it, even though he lived pretty far away. 
he knew that this great new neshama, this great luminous soul is coming into the world. And it was the same birthday like he had. The 18th of El, so we can easily say that the 18th of El is the birthday of Hasidus. Now, they were born in Chai El, which usually comes out like this year. Um, now, the Balshemtiv was born on a Monday in Parshas Nitzavim, which is next week's Torah portion. Um, and Rifnir Zalman of Liadi was born, the, the Balatanya, the Altor, we refer to him as the Altor Rebbe, was born on a Wednesday in the week of Parshas Kisavu, exactly like this year. So in Parshas Kisavu, what does it say in the Torah? Stand up and shine your light because your light has come. So the introductory lights of Mashiach and the ability to shine with uh, and illuminate the world with this great light of, of, of the days of Mashiach, the infinite light of God, that is already been available in the world to a certain degree from the Baal Shem Tov. And that's why they were both born on this day, which usually comes out during this week, where we read this of Torah, because they are already future lights, as we also know. That the holy Baal Shem Tov's neshama went up. The Baal Shem Tov had a power and abilities, incredible, incredible spiritual abilities, in which he was able to, while he was physically in this world, he was able to go on spiritual journeys into the highest, 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 deepest chambers above, into the world of souls, way surpassing the worlds of angels. And he would go literally, you know, he would like, and through a meditation, through a process, he would have sort of like an outer body experience and the soul would ascend into the higher worlds. And the Baal Shem Tov wrote, writes in a letter then about one of these ascents that actually happened on Rosh Hashanah, on the second day of Rosh Hashanah. And during this ascent, um, he enters into, I think it actually says on the way back, shows you how high the Baal Shem Tov went. On the way back down, he enters into the chamber of Mashiach, Mashiach's chamber, where the soul of Mashiach is teaching Torah to the rest of the great saintly rabbis and all the saintly souls. And the Baal Shem Tov approaches Mashiach and he asks him the very... Strong question. When is the master coming? The Baal Shem Tov is longing for the redemption. He says, how long will it take? When will the, when will, will the redemption come? Mashiach answers the Baal Shem Tov. And he says, when your teachings will sp- spread far and wide. When it will sp- spread. Your wellsprings, your teachings. Chutza will reach the very outer, 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 outer reaches it means the teachings of your your mystical teachings your interpretation of judaism not just interpretation but your your light which brings a whole new light as we're soon going to see into yiddishkeit into judaism and observance when that light will reach the four corners of the earth definitely all the jews that are everywhere maybe even to a certain degree even gentiles as well they too will be inspired by your light it's during that it's when that will happen that's when i will be ready to come that's when i'm going to arrive and that has been the work for the nine generations from the balshemtov onward the balshemtov then knew what his mission is not to keep these secrets and these awesome um um uh, teachings just for himself 
but to share it with others and to inspire the others that he's sharing with that they should become teachers themselves and they should carry these teachings further and build on them and develop them. So we have nine generations of great, great, great luminaries who, and again, I'm just talking about the Chabad branch, so many other branches, like the, one of the famous ones is Breslov, whose teachings also reach across the world, you see today. And many, many other great rabbis and tzaddikim, the holy Reb Levi Yitzchakov. I'm just giving examples, Reb Levi Yitzchakov, Bardichev, whose teachings are reaching far and wide. The great saintly Reb Lemilech of Lezensk, whose his teachings and inspiration has inspired the entire Polish world, Jewish world. And from there, Hungarian Judaism and they across so many, so many spectrums of life. And further and further, so you have the Chernobyl of Chernobyl and, and these very, various giants of giants, saintly people, miracle workers. But the main thing was they reached out with non judgmental love and they brought to the attention of people of how much God loves them and how much Hashem wants and enjoys their, their service. And particularly the Balshamtov influenced very much. The, he, he, he revolutionized Judaism, influenced and transformed even you know the greatest scholars and, and geniuses. He taught them how to really stand in reverence for God and how to really appreciate the infinity of Hashem and how to be truly humble and how to truly love Hashem and primarily how to serve God with joy. All of this, the Bolshem Tov, like brought new insight, new depth, new understanding. But as much as he reached the 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 higher uh, uh, you know groups within the Jewish people, his primary influence were in the simple people that everybody ignored. Everybody ignored them. Till that time, there was this great great rift between the simple Jews and the more sophisticated learned people, and all the attention and all the all the um, um, significance. And the Jewish world was only given to those who know how to learn. The simple people were, 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 were ignored and in many cases even shunned and to a certain degree even persecuted. So um, I made fun of and laughed off as, as meaningless and many times really, really, really rejected. And they were falling by the waysides and there was a threat to the continuity of Judaism. Most of these Jews were ignorant, not because of by choice. They, their whole, they were born in tremendous poverty. They didn't have regular good school systems. And it was a terrible situation. There were fortunate ones who got to study and learn. And the Baal however, revolutionized it. First of all, he opened up and he created this incredible equality in the sense that he revealed the spark, the truest spark that there is in every single Jew that's a piece of God from above. And he, Baal said, when, when you appreciate the, div- the divine spark that's within every, within your fellow man, that divine spark transcends knowledge, understanding, and that everybody's equal. That there is no differences between scholar and simple person, and layman, and 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 you know, and and everybody. And once you see that, then all the differences that divide us are much, much, much less than the what unifies and what is the main preciousness. Of the Jew, so obviously the Balshemtov's teachings were not so just so simple. They were very, 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 very powerful, based on the deepest, highest spiritual ideas of mysticism and 
he uncovered levels of the divine that has never been tapped before and revealed them. But the, the point over here is that it influenced on the most external level. So Mashiach said to the Baal Shem Tov, when you will complete your revolution and your lights will reach the entire world, I'm ready to come. In other words, you're the precursor for me. You're, you're paving the road. You're the trailblazer. I'm going to be riding on your back. Kind of. That's what Mashiach is saying. So the Baal Shem Tov went to work. But there's one of the things that the the uh, Moshiach says to the Baal Shem Tov, that is not so spoken of. Moshiach says to the Baal Shem Tov, that not only will the people from far and wide re- receive your teachings, but they'll able to make spiritual unifications like you. They will be able to make Yehudim Kamaischa. They will be able to make unifications like you. The Baal Shem Tov was constantly in a constant state of Dvekut, Dvekut meaning in a state of constant attachment, deepest attachment to God. So there wasn't even one second the movement of his body or something like that that did not, that wasn't tuning in to the spiritual forces. He never lived in a, like a mindless moment. Every second was completely attached to the higher divine uh, forces. And therefore that's called, and when he was doing his his whatever he was involved in every conversation that he had or even though it looked very regular in his mind he had deep intentions which were ref- representing mystif- mystical unifications of different divine energies which obviously we know that these unifications is what brings all the blessings down into the into the creation so mashiach says to the balshemto that we, you when you do this you create such satisfaction above Mashiach will come when everybody will know how to do that. So when you think about that, you can get very depressed or very down and think or give up hope. Okay, we know the first half, Hasidism has reached the four corners, primarily because, and this we have to give credit primarily to Chabad, even though we said before that all the, te- the teachings of the of the of, of Hasidus came flowing through all the various different branches. Of the ones who took it as their personal um, responsibility to make sure that the teachings of Hasidus will flow and be accessible to every single Jew across the world were the Chabad Rabbeim. And that's why they sent out emissaries, primarily the last two, and primarily the, the Rebbe, the seventh Chabad Rebbe, who sent out a representative to every nook and cranny of, of the globe. There isn't a place where Chabad isn't. And the purpose of these Chabad centers are not only to get Jews to do mitzvot, but also to teach these higher teachings, these mystical teachings, these deeper appreciations of Judaism, which has, and therefore today's days, everywhere, especially when we have the internet. Now we can teach these teachings far and wide across the world. I can be sitting in Los Angeles and people can be listening to these teachers in China across the world. And there's no barriers. Everybody. So this is the awesome thing. The problem is the other second part. To be able to make these permutations and unify that, you have to be a great uh, mystical, you have to be already a very saintly person, a very high refined being. And that doesn't seem like everybody in the world is ready to do that. Or all Jews in the four corners of the earth are ready to do that. And it might take a very long time. So how does that work? So there's various different explanations to it, but I'd like to present a thought on my own based on something that the Rebbe 
the Lubavitcher Rebbe said in the first year that he was, in 1951, the Rebbe became Rebbe. So in 1951, on the on Chai El, in uh, September of 1951, on Chai El, the Rebbe sat with the Hasidim, his first Fabrenian on the 18th of El, the anniversary of Hasidus, and uh, he shared this idea. He doesn't refer to it to the question that I was asking before, but I think it's connected. And over there, the Rebbe says as follows. He says, one of the unique contributions of Hasidism to the world is the idea that you're responsible for your fellow person, for your fellow Jew. Until that time, and we say responsible, and he's responsible to everybody. Until that time, there were great rabbis, great scholars, and great saintly people. In, 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 in amongst the, our Jewish heritage, there were so many super, super souls, incredible people. But they generally kept to themselves. And if they had students, it was primarily students who, who sought them out. And it was people who were looking for a mentor. People were looking for a spiritual guide. Someone that was looking for someone who can direct them. So some people just want a Talmudic kind of study. Go to a teacher who can teach them how to study. Some people were seeking a little bit more spiritual guidance and they wanted a master that can teach them the more mystical aspect. So there were great uh, Talmudic uh, um, uh, centers and there were also Kabbalistic little enclaves where people studied mysticism. But to who? They opened up shop and whoever came to them and they felt that they were worthy and they accepted them as their students, they taught them. People that were not on the caliber, they didn't let them in or they would ask them to leave. And definitely those that weren't coming at all and the reason they weren't coming either was because of lack of means. But more than that, they weren't coming because they didn't realize that they're lacking anything. Like if you don't know that there was something extremely precious and wonderful, you're not going to, you know, a new ice cream store opens up and you don't hear about it. And you don't even know that it's like, ah, it's heavenly ice cream. You're not going to have an, an, you know, there's a person who's gone there once, wakes up in the morning and says, oh, I must have that ice cream again. Like, so you're excited. So you're going to go, you know, open, you, you, you look it up online. It says, now it's nine in the morning and you need ice cream. You're craving ice cream. You see, it's only opening at 11. Ugh. But you get into the car already at 10, 40, 20 minute drive or 15 minutes. So you want to be the first customer is there. You're going to get your, you're going to get that scrumptious heavenly ice cream. But at least you have a desire for that ice cream because you know you're lacking. You've tasted it once. And obviously when it comes to spirituality, it's a million times more than that. People that don't have an affinity, people that don't have a sense of, of the beauty of it, of the depth of it, of the meaningfulness of it, and the preciousness of it aren't seeking it. So there were so many people that lived simple lives, unengaged, uninvolved. They did traditional Judaism, what their parents taught them, but they weren't seeking. And it didn't even occur to them that God has any interest in them because they were told constantly that they're, they're a bunch of losers because they don't know anything. The Baal Shem Tov changed all of that because the Baal Shem Tov began traveling. One of the first things he did was he traveled. And where did he go? He went from town to village, from village to town to city. And he would go and he would inspire the people. He would talk to them. Now, there were two phases in the Baal Shem Tov's life. The first time he went, he was camouflaged. That's one of the things the Rebbe actually says. The great other saintly rabbis living before the Baal Shem Tov even when they did, first of all, they didn't travel. They didn't feel a need to travel. They were satisfied being in their place, serving God, and whoever was attracted to them was great. But more than that, even if they did travel, 
it wasn't to reach the masses. It, it was one of two things. Some of them traveled for the sake of purification. Traveling is hard. I actually just got off a plane. I'm tired. I ran this week two trips. I was in, San, in, in Frisco for a for a certain speaking engagement, and then I was in New York for a for a family wedding, and was the nonstop traveling. It really weakens you. But this is today already your, your travel and comfort. And imagine in the olden days when you was a real schlep, you walked in the high heat and in the cold. And if you were on a bumpy wagon that shook your bones up, it was exhausting. And many of these rabbis went on these trips just for the sake of purification. They also, but when they went, they went in incognito. They went in a way that they were camouflaged as simple people because that's the way they felt that no one would give them honor. And because they wouldn't get any honor, they would experience true hardship. Sometimes they would go hungry for days. Sometimes people insulted them because they looked like beggars. And so it was personally, it was in a huge purification process because any type of pure, uh, suffering, anything that you do to crush your ego helps you spiritual. So that's what they were doing. And if they, so that was one way of that these great men would travel. The other way they would travel was they traveled around to visit Torah centers. If, you know, to strengthen the Torah centers. But again, so where are they meeting the people? They're meeting the educated. They're meeting already the, or you might say the elites amongst the Jewish people, the educated elites. But the regular, ordinary, everyday person, the regular people, um, they didn't meet these people. And they didn't care. They weren't, they weren't involved in their needs. The Baal Shem Tov was the first one to travel. Two things. In his early days, he traveled hidden. But even when he was hidden, he engaged the people and infused them and uplifted their spirits and told them stories and explained to them how much God loves them and so on and so forth. But in addition to that, once he was revealed, he removed the veil, his mask, and people started seeing him for who he was. That he's an incredible godly man. And he had already lots of followers. He would still continuously travel the various different cities and places and attract the masses and inspire them. And he created a whole following of other spiritual giants and taught them to do the whole, the same thing. And suddenly all these sleepy communities in, in, in Eastern Europe, that were so asleep. They had a few Torah centers, but other than that, the people, the masses were sleeping. They suddenly became so alive in their Judaism, they opened up their own shtiblach and shuls. And even though maybe they weren't the greatest scholars, they would sing and they would dance and they loved being Jewish and they loved doing mitzvahs. And they had such an excitement in life and they cared for each other with enormous love. And this was the enormous revolution that Hasidism made across first in Eastern Europe and then it spread and continues to spread across the world. So now, take it one step further. So not only did the Baal Shem Tov go out to the people and to inspire the ordinary people, instead of just targeting the extraordinary geniuses and higher people, or reaching the, 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 the middle class, and if you might say, what we, if you might call the lower class within this, within this hierarchy, but to take it a step deeper, in the early days of the Baal Shem Tov, even before, when he wasn't known, he, he pretended to be a very, very, very simple person. 
and he knows nothing, even though he was already, you know, a a a, a very, very, very holy being with enormous inspiration and an enormous enlightenment and ability to inspire, but he kept low key, as we said before, a very low profile. So much so that when he was looking for a job, not just to feed himself, but because he felt the job was important, he became a, many people who were simple or were kind of like poor and they needed a job, but would become school teachers, teaching the children, the little children. It wasn't obviously a high paying job. They got what we call in Yiddish bupkis. They got pennies. But still, it was a means of a living. The Balshamtov did not become a school teacher. He became an assistant to a school teacher. Understand? The school teacher was already like a, you know, but he was an assistant to the school teacher. And what was his job? His job was basically to be what in the modern days would be a bus driver. But they didn't have a bus. So he would go pick up the kids from their homes, he would do the carpool um, and, and, and walk. And he would walk, go through various different homes, get all the kids, and he would take the kids to the shul, the rickety shul, where the malamid, the, the teacher, would, would study with the children. Now, the teacher might have been a special person, but didn't come close to the heels of the spirituality of the holiness of the Bolshemto. But, but he had no idea who his helper was. The assistant played like a simple person who was unknown to anybody. So he was young, and he and 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 I so said, "What did he do with the children?" On, on the on the when he would bring the children and he would walk back with them, he would sing with them, and he would tell them stories, but he would also say with them and recite with them these little, you know, three-year-olds, four-years-old, five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old kids. He would sing with them. He would say the blessings, the morning blessings with them. He would say Shema Yisrael with them. He would say, "Which is Hero Israel," and he would. Uh, he would, uh, he, would, he would bring them to the shul, and if there was a, a middle of a, a minion, a quorum of people praying, he would teach them how to say Amen, and how to say Amen Yehish Rabba, which is what we answer in Baruch Hu, Baruch Shemo, which is all recitations that you say, which are just simple blessings of God, of Hashem. And he would teach the little children how to do that, and he would tell them, he would, he would make sure they do them joyously and happily with the little children. That was his occupation. Moda'ani, which is the thanks that we give to God when we wake up in the morning. The why was this the first job of the Baal Shem Tov? It wasn't so because he couldn't find a better occupation. It's because the beginning and the end are always connected to each other. What your first your first occupation is, that's an indication of what your you know your core being is. The core being of the Baal Shem Tov was to reveal, to uncover the simple light, the simple, the, mo- the basics, the very, very fundamentals of fundamentals, which is rooted not in sophistication, but in the simple attachment of the soul to God. Now, the sophistication of understanding and appreciation is very limited because what you're connecting to when you're having a, a, a meditation and an understanding through, through study and learning Although it's very, 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 can be very powerful, and you're supposed to do that, and we're supposed to climb the ladder of deeper understanding and deeper understanding, but because it's something that we're grasping, it's only within the limited revelations of Hashem. It's not in God's essence. To touch God's essence, you can only touch Him with simplicity. That's one of the Balshamto's teachings. It's only with simple faith. 
And as the Baal Shem Tov revealed and uncovered within these little children, and the Baal Shem Tov did it with children, but he didn't later, he also did it with adults who were very simple. He taught them how to appreciate their simple faith and how to thank God and how to constantly you know, connect Hashem with simplicity. So th- this is the first job that he did because this is prim- the primary element of the Balshemta's entire objective in Hasidism is to reveal the soul of Israel and to connect and open that up to a connection to Hashem, which is what Mashiach is. Mashiach is when God is attached to the to the world via the Jewish people and the Jewish soul. So the Balshemta uncovered this emuna, this faith, the simple faith by the simple people. And that was expressed in his job of being not a teacher, because a teacher that's teaching is already getting into the sophisticated development of the child. Is teaching already advanced studies, teaching Talmud, Mishnah, or further. The Baal Shem Tov is teaching just the letters, the simple letters, Aleph, Bet, Gimel, right? The simple letters. Modani, I thank you, God. But it's precisely because of the simplicity, that's where the essence is connecting to essence. So much deeper, which is really Moshiach. Because the time of Mashiach is going to be beyond, although it will be very, 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 we will achieve and we will have all the sophisticated understanding of God, but far overpowering all of that will be the essential revelation of God's essence into our essence. Now, being that that's the case, that that was the Balshemto's inaugural work, and that's how he was tested from above. God tested him. It says when God chose the Redeemer, when Hashem chose Moses, Moshe, the Redeemer, Hashem tested him. Moshe was a shepherd. We all know that the verse that the Bible says, the Torah says, Scripture says Moshe was out in the field with his, with his sheep. And Hashem was testing him how patient and how delicate and how sympathetic he was to the sheep. And when he saw how Moshe would care for the stragglers, the sheep that were not as aggressive as the other ones, and bring them to the softer grass and to make sure that they're okay and they're taken care of. God says, you take care so well of the sheep. I will give you my sheep, which are my children to take care of. And that's when Hashem appointed Moshe to be the shepherd of Israel. Moses to be the shepherd of the world. So Hashem tested the Baal Shem Tov also in his early youth, how he would deal as he was taking care and being an assistant, a carpooler, with the little children. Now, here's the amazing thing, which never occurred to me. The Lubavitcher Rebbe instituted this concept called shlichus. What shlichus? Shlichus are emissaries that he sends. And they go across the world to every town and to every country there's, there's a state in the United States, even the places that have very, very few Jews. The last ones went out to the Dakotas. Even places that have very few. But to seek out the Jews that are there and to get them to do mitzvahs. Now, with most of these Jews, they're not going farther. Some of them will go farther. Some of them will join synagogue services every week, and then they'll start joining a rabbi's class of Torah study. Some of them will seek out even more advanced learning, Talmudic study. Some young young boy or girl might be inspired and decide to go to Israel and go to a yeshiva or go to a seminary and learn advanced Jewish studies. But I would say that 90% of the people who visit Chabad houses or 
at least, you know, there are those who visit the Chabad house. But there are so many people that don't walk into the Chabad house. The rabbi meets them at a Hanukkah lighting of a menorah out on the street. And what does he do with them? One mitzvah. He puts on tefillin on their head, tells them to say Shema Yisrael, hear O Israel. He's basically, or maybe to some of them, he gets to teach them the Hebrew alphabet, and some of them don't even get that advanced to know the Hebrew alphabet. But they do hear a thought, a little teaching, something that inspires their faith, something that inspires them to think for a moment that there is a God, that there is purpose in their life, and that they are meaning and, and, and they are instrumental in this world, and God cares about them, and they play a role in this world. So to these masses of people that the, that the Chabad Shliach reaches, and we're talking about thousands and thousands of these emissaries across the world, they are actually, most of the work that they are doing is being the carpooler, exactly what the Balshemtov did. In other words, the Shlichus is a replication, the Balshemtov the Balshemtov duplicated himself into the million, into the thousands of rabbis and rebbitsons that are out across the world, reaching and inspiring and touching the simple Jews and the simple people, and not giving them sophisticated messages, just teaching them the simple aspects of thanking God, of being aware of God and connecting to Hashem and doing a mitzvah, maybe one mitzvah in a year, maybe just coming once once a year to shul. But here's what was occurred to me. It's like, so, so crazy. This is cloning the Baal Shem Tov. Now, obviously, these emissaries are nowhere, 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 nowhere close spiritual giants like the Baal Shem Tov. We're, we're dealing with you know, fine people, people that have very, very special in terms of that they have devoted their lives. In many cases, it's not a very, not easy life, especially to raise a family when you're not in an insular Jewish community and you don't have access to the school systems and to kosher food and to all this stuff. It takes a lot, a lot of hardship. It's very, very difficult. And yet they, they do so. So it's very, very noble. But we're talking about the ability. These are not people who can close their eyes and soar into the heavens and have this extra body experiences and and rise up into the chambers above and study Torah in in the heavenly academy. The Baal Shem Tov was a a super soul, an all-encompassing soul, one of the greatest souls ever to live. Sometimes the the Holy Rujan has said that he had been in the days of our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he would have been one of the forefathers. And we would say, in prayer, the God of Abraham, the God of Yitzchak, the God of Yaakov, and the God of Yisrael, referring to not Yisrael, Yaakov Avinu, referring to Israel, Balshemto. That's on what kind of caliber the Balshemto was. But yet, in his primary work of teaching not the deepest secrets of the Torah, which he also taught, but awakening the spark in people with the simplistic connections that we can all do in these things, they're all a Balshemtov duplicate. They are all the carpoolers that the Balshemtov was, the Rebbe's assistants. The Rebbe, I mean the the the, the school teacher's assistant. This blew my mind when I read this. I said, wow, this is so incredible. And perhaps that's what it means when they will be able to make unifications like you. In other words, Mashiach said, you will be duplicated. 
It doesn't mean there will be spiritual giants like you. He wasn't saying that. He knew the, 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 the Mashiach knew that there was only you know one in very few people who enter his chamber that are still alive. I don't know how many people entered Mashiach's chamber in heaven while while they were physically alive in this world. It's you know it's one in a millennium. Maybe not even that. Maybe like who comes to him? He knows that the Bolshemtov is a super giant soul. He doesn't think that everybody will be the Bolshemtov. But they'll be able to make unifications. Oh, what's the unification? When a simple Jew, man or woman, does a mitzvah, that's a supernal unification. The soul of the Jew is a piece of the Shekhinah. The mitzvah is a piece of, a part, an expression of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. For those not familiar, Shekhinah is the feminine side of God. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which is the source of creation. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the masculine side of God, which represents the transcendental infinite dimension of God. The Torah and the mitzvahs are expressions of this infinite godliness. The, the Jew is a particle, a piece of the imminent divinity of creation, the soul force of creation, the Shekhinah. And the primary concept of a yichud, is to bring the marriage together of the male and female element of the divine, which is HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Shekhinah, which happens when you do a mitzvah. So Jews have been doing mitzvahs throughout all the generations. But the ability to influence thousands of people to do a mitzvah and to meet them on the street corners and do mitzvahs with Jews and invoke with and, and awaken with them an attachment to God, that's, these, that's the unification. That's what the Bolshemta was doing on the streets when he was meeting the simple people. And in his days, only he was doing it. And then he gathered a few great saintly students and they were doing it. But today, anybody can sign up. Anybody can sign up to be a Bolshemta duplicate. Obviously, one has to study themselves the inspiration of the Bolshemta, the teaching of Hasidus, and then go out and share this with people far and wide and inspire people to do mitzvahs. And we have so many balshemtos. And when that happens, kumi oiri, get up and shine light. Kiva oireich, because your light has arrived. We start glowing with a godly light, with a Mashiach to get godly light. This was supposed to be only the introductory introduction to the class today. And I was going to share with you many, a few teachings from the Balshemtov and the Shneir Zalman of Liadi. Um, however, I this took longer than I expected. But what I will say is I'll conclude with one teaching of the Balshemtov at least, which gives you this understanding of what we said earlier. When Mashiach comes, we will all shine with incredible light and how that light can start shining already now. The Baal Shem Tov um, asks a question. I saw this teaching. I told you I was in, in uh, San Francisco this week. So on the way back home, I took with me a book from the Baal Shem Tov and I opened it randomly. And I came across this teaching. 
So this is like from 30,000 30, feet above, 25,000 feet above. So I opened up this, uh, this random page. I was looking for a short teaching and it ended up being one of the longest, the longest talks to the Baal Shem Tov is in the book. Most of the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov are very short. This was a long one, but I'm just going to teach you one, share with you, share with you one thought. He's referring, he, 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 he he's, um, bases it on, on, on Psalms 19. Tehillim Perik Yotes. David HaMelech, King David says, after he speaks about the preciousness and the beauty of Torah and mitzvahs, how precious, how awesome the Torah is. He says that the Torah is Hanachamadim. It is more precious, Mizah from gold, Omipaz Rav and from fine gold, it is sweeter from honey, and from what flows from a honeycomb. So King David is saying, "Wow, oh, your mitzvahs are so precious, so delightful, so sweet, and it's so precious." King David continues and he says, "Gam Also, your servant is careful in them. Because when you guard them, there is an enormous reward. That's the simple meaning of the verse. So what is King David saying? Your Torah, your mitzvahs are spectacular. And, and I too subscribe to them. He's speaking about himself now. Your servant, which is himself, I as well subscribe to the mitzvahs. I keep them. But you should know why. Because if you observe them, there is enormous reward. Which is problematic. Reading this verse on face value is pretty problematic. Why is it problematic? On two ends. Number one, we are taught, don't serve your, your master with the intentions of receiving a reward. Serve your master altruistically. Serve, serve Hashem because he ought to be served, because you love him, because you revere him, not because you're expecting a reward. And here, King David, who's supposed to be the giant of giants, he says, I am serving God. I am careful in the mitzvah observances because of the great reward that's going to come. Something doesn't feel right. It doesn't seem fitting for King David to say that, for David HaMelech to say that. The other question, he is, a, is this word which he opens up where he says, Gam, also your servant is careful. What does this mean, also your servant? David says, I also, amongst everybody else who is committed to the observance of mitzvot, count me in as well. In other words, as if there is this long, long, long sheet where everybody is signed up, and after everybody signs up, David says, you know what? I'm going to add my name. I'm going to add my name as well to the bottom of the list. I'm going to put my signature there too. I'm also. King David is not also. He is probably, if you have to count, from the 10 greatest people ever to live, King David is the chosen by Hashem. David HaMelech Hashem chose him. He's the chosen of God. Of course he's meticulous in Torah and mitzvahs. From the words, also I, seems to be that he's like, you know, I know we can say out of humility, but it's just, 
It's a funny thing to say. Me too. Not me too. Of course. He's in the top of the list of those who serve Hashem or are servants of God or keep the mitzvahs. So the Baal Shem Tov teaches an amazing thing. And he says, mitzvahs and Torah, and this is one of the main aspects of what the Baal Shem Tov did in Judaism, is the Baal Shem Tov uncovered the godly dimension of Torah and mitzvot. That the Torah and mitzvah should not just be seen as ways or, or guide or a, a handbook by God of how to live a fulfilling life, but a human life. The Baal Shem Tov says that no, 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 no. Living your life according to the Torah and mitzvahs means that you are elevating your existence and yourself from a human being to a godly being. When you're doing a mitzvah, it's not just God's recommendation of how you should live a healthy life as a human being. Like many, many, many people understand mitzvah that way. And a mitzvah is supposed to, if you live life in accordance to God's manual, like a like a like a owner's manual, like a the the the, the company manual that that created the manufacturer's manual. God is a manufacturer; he tells you how to live healthy. So these are all ideas of how you can be healthy spiritually, mentally, psychologically, be a healthy human being. But then you're still remaining a human being. No, 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 no. The idea of mitzvahs is to attach yourself to God. And as a result of that, you become godly because what are you doing in every mitzvah? You're downloading the divine into your body and into your being. So when you're studying Torah, you're downloading God's brain into your brain. And now you st- and when and eventually, when it all lights up, you can think, and your mind is a divine mind. And obviously, its capacity is like way beyond. It's amazing. When you're doing a mitzvah with your eyes, like looking at the words of Torah, which is also bidamah, you are downloading and matching your eyes with God's eyes. When you're doing mitzvah like charity, you're downloading Hashem into your hands. God's hands, God, because Hashem gives tzedakah all the time through his arms. You're aligning your arms with his arms. And the Baal Shem Tov actually says, you can see it when you give tzedakah, that you actually, doesn't say it in this teaching, he says it elsewhere, you're actually creating one of God's names. The main name of Hashem, which is the four letters, Yud, K, Vav, K. It says when you take a coin, the coin is the Yud, is the small dot, is the coin. Then when you you put the coin into your hand, your, your, hand, your hand has five fingers, so that's the five, that's the hay of Hashem's name. The second letter of God's name. Then when you stretch your hand out like this, your physical arm becomes the letter Vav. The Vav is a long line, so that's your arm. Then the recipient, the person receiving the coin, opens up their hand. Their hand is the last letter, the He of Hashem's name. Also five fingers of the, of the recipient. So now you're not just doing something nice. You are now channeling the infinite light of God into your body, into your being, into the world. And so it is in every mitzvah. As a result of that, says the Baal Shem Tov, you know what happens? The human being starts becoming so luminous that you become even more radiant than the sun.
Where do we find that? We know that um, Moshe Rabbeinu, Mo, right? After he received the tablets, it says the people couldn't look at his face. He put a mask on his face. Why? Because his light was shining with a with such a divine glow. They couldn't literally, he would blind them. They couldn't look at his face. So he had to wear a mask covering his face. So you see from here that someone who receives, we do a lot of mitzvahs, but because of the coarseness, because of the other times that we do things we shouldn't be doing and sin and the general coarseness of the world after the sin blocks us that we don't see the enormous illumination that illuminates from the mitzvahs we do because it's being blocked by some 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 curtain, some veil that's blocking it. Moshe, because Moshe was pure and he refined himself, himself to the degree that his physicality did not in any way obscure and block. So the light of his soul, which was now radiating God's light, was literally seen from his forehead. And he had these beams of light shining from him, the divine light. We find another person. Adam Arishon, Adam, whose birthday we're going to celebrate on Rosh Hashanah. It says in the beginning, before he sinned, God brought him first into Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden. And it says that Adam Arishon's Adam's heel, the heel of his foot, was brighter than the sun. It darkened the sun. In other words, if you looked at Adam's heel, and then you looked at the sun, the sun would look like a dark entity. We can't look at the sun, it's so bright. But if you would look at the sun after you look at Adam's heel, the bottom of his foot, the sun would be considered dark because it was so bright. Why, he says. Because what was Adam just on the first day what was he doing? He studied Torah. He downloaded God into his being. And even the heel, which is the lowest part of his body. See, we're not even talking about the higher parts of his body. His face, forget about. But even the heel, which is at the very bottom and most, if you can say, dense part of the body, had enough light in it that it was more luminous than the sun. And the Balshemtov explains why was Adam's heel brighter than the sun. The Baal Shem Tov says it was because if the sun was created by God to serve the creation, the sun is a, serves creation. It, illumin, it, 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 it lights up the world. The human was created to serve the creator. So which one is greater? Is greater, the servant of creation or the servant of the creator? So the 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 human being is so much of a higher servant than the sun is. And therefore, the light coming from the human far surpasses the light of the sun. So if so, how come we don't see that today? The answer is Adam lost that light, but he didn't lose it. He just covered it up with his coarseness because he sinned the coarseness of his of his current condition blocks those powerful lights from being visible to the outside. They still exist, but they're not visible to the outside. Until when? Until Mashiach will come. When the world will, the physical will again be completely refined and elegant and non-blocking. It won't be opaque. It will be completely transparent. 
And then the powerful, powerful light of the divine will shine from our bodies and way brighter than the sun. And that's what King David, David HaMelech, who David HaMelech himself rectified already the sin of Adam. David HaMelech was already the future. He was the seed of Mashiach, of the future light. David HaMelech says in this verse, I too, also your servant, it doesn't mean I observe the commandments. Of course he observed the commandments. He's saying something, saying something else. Besides for the fact that the mitzvahs are so powerful, they're so great, they're more precious than gold, and they're, they're awesome. But not only are the mitzvahs incredible, but me, David says, I, who have downloaded these commandments into my body, into my being, nizar behem. So he says the word nizar doesn't mean I'm careful. Nizar means I have become luminous. The word Nizar has the word Zohar. Zohar means to radiate. I have become radiant because of this radiance that I have downloaded into my being. So the radiance that has now been downloaded into my being has made me a a radiant being, that I glow in the dark. Gam avdecha. Also, so the gam over here is not everybody else keeps it, me too. No. Besides for the mitzvahs being so powerful, such powerful lights, the observer of the commandment too becomes a, 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 uh, a luminary because we're illuminated with God's God. Bishamram, and that's the end, according to the Balshemto, that the last words are Bishamram, when you guard these commandments. Akev means your heel. Akev, Rav, the heel is very big. What does it mean? The heel is big. The heel has the big lights even greater than the sun. So the Baal Shem Tov is saying that, that when a person does the mitzvahs correctly, and not only that, we obviously when we don't have the blockages of a coarse body, then we should realize how luminous we really are. And that's why the Baal Shem Tov himself, his light was just unbelievable. And his students. And if people went and saw the great Sadiqim, including the, the Rebbe, for instance, I just watched a short video someone sent me of an interview of a person. He was part of the Rolling Stones. He was actually a manager in them, a Jewish fellow. And uh, he doubted God, the whole story. Someone brought him. Someone from Buffalo, the Shliach Rabbi Gorari from Buffalo, born into the Rebbe. It's a whole incredible story. But what touched me much more than the story itself, but this, he had an encounter with the Rebbe for a few minutes as the Rebbe was walking into the 770 by Minchan. And he spoke to the Rebbe for a while. And he says they locked eyes. He was describing those eyes, those eyes. And it was amazing was, he's telling the, the, the story like 30 years later. He becomes so filled with emotion. He's choking. He can't, he can't speak because he's talking about the Rebbe's eyes. He's saying, those eyes, those eyes. What does it mean? He was looking at human eyes that had downloaded the divine eyes. So when you, when you look at that, it's, it's like you feel it. You sense the energy. Obviously, everybody senses it differently. It also has to do with the refinement and the spiritual capacity of the one that's looking. But the idea... That, that, that's what these great rabbis, that's why in Hasidic culture, by all Hasidim, it was always a, an amazing thing, uh, considered a very high quality 
to gaze at the tzaddik, to gaze at the saintly person, to look at their face, to look at them, to see them. Because when you're looking at them, of course you're looking at a human being, a human being. But the human, it's a human body facilitating divine characteristics. The divine, not just characteristics, but the divine features through mitzvot are downloaded into the person who keeps them. When we are coarse, we block them. A person who's not coarse allows that light to shine out. And their light is enormous. I think it says by the, the Mizritcha Magid, the student of the Balshantov. And one of his students once described how he, one time, the Mizritcha Magid turned around by prayer. Usually, you know, tzaddikim are amazing. They know how to filter themselves. They can have, they can, they can internally self-block their light because they know people can handle it. Similar to the idea that Moshe put a, a mask on his face. So the tzaddikim, they hide their true light because they know the students, the people can't, really, can't receive it. It once happened that the Rebbe, those days was the, the Dave Baer, the, the student of the Baal Shem Tov, again, the successor of the Baal Shem Tov, again, turned around without putting his filter on because it was like, it wasn't, it wasn't supposed to turn, whatever. I don't know what happened. He was, there was some kind of a disturbance. He turned around and he glanced the Rebbe at that time and he almost died from the, from the radiance. He couldn't handle it. He went crazy from the face. from the. So this is the amazing light. But here's the beauty. When Mashiach will come, our lights will shine. And that's what Hashem is saying. Kumi oiri, get up and shine your light. We're living already in times when this light, the world is ready to receive this internal, powerful, messianic light. The light of Mashiach, which is really the light coming because God, what's Mashiach? Mashiach is when we are all synchronized, the world is synchronized with its divine source. So the human face will be the face of God. And the light will be this enormous light. And the Baal Shem Tov is saying that even my feet, he's saying that King David said, but when usually when you're saying something, it's because you have a relationship to it. The Baal Shem Tov is saying that King David said that, 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 that when I observe them, Rav, my heels are shining with the great light even greater than the sun. May we merit already that these lights should turn on within each and every one of us and that we should have the confidence and the, and the ability to recognize that we have so much light. And each and every one of us, that's, that's the idea over here. Each and every person listening to this class, every person that's tuning in, just by getting this information, it makes you responsible to share it with others. Everybody is a conduit. Everybody should serve as a channel. Everybody should pass through this enormous divine godliness, this incredible godly light. We should shine it, not block it. That's the idea. We shouldn't block. We should allow these lights to come through. Reach out, inspire people, connect people. Because literally, momentarily, the entire world will glow with the light and the glow of Mashiach. And it will be really, Kumi Oiri, get up and shine light, Kiva Oirech, because your light has already arrived. Everyone have a wonderful, wonderful Shabbos.